Welcome to Egg Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor, MNP, a leading national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm for Canada's agriculture industry. MMP has invested more time and resources into understanding agriculture than any other firm. With more than 18,000 agriculture clients and a team of over 600 agriculture specialists, MMP's team brings a range of expertise to all aspects of agricultural business, from primary producers through to food and beverage processors. To help you navigate through these times of uncertainty, MMP has created a COVID-19 Business Advice Centre. To learn more, visit mnp.ca slash en slash COVID-19. Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Gordon, editor of Fruit and Vegetable Magazine, and today I'm here with Stuart Parson, Senior Vice President Agriculture at MNP. And we're going to be talking about labor and agriculture. Before we begin, Stuart, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in this area. So my background in agriculture stems right back to uh, my upbringing. I grew up on a farm in Saskatchewan. I still own the family farm together with my father, uh, who's now retired, um, but I continue to operate the farm. It's been going for 108 years uh, in our family. Today, I, uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Ag for MNP, based in Edmonton, Alberta. I lead a team of 650 ag professionals in over 80 offices across Canada. And we have about 18,000 farm clients that we service coast to coast. And that sounds like a big operation. And when we look into the entire sector of agriculture, the Canadian Agriculture Human Resources Council reported last summer that the agriculture sector's job vacancy rate was the highest of any major sector in the Canadian economy. And in 2018, the agriculture sector was short 16,500 workers. What factors make it difficult to find help on the farm? What is it about agriculture that makes this so difficult? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a number of factors that that come into play. And I think some of the the key ones would, first of all, be demand in many sectors tends to be very seasonal, whereas most employees are probably looking for full-time work. So that creates a bit of a mismatch as to uh, what's being offered versus what's being sought out by workers. Second one I would say is perception is still a huge problem in the agriculture sector. Overall, ag still tends to suffer from an image of uh, low-skilled, old technology, low wages, long hours, kind of boring and poor and maybe even in some cases unsafe working conditions. So that perception uh, is changing over time as industry works to to try and and bring the reality uh, out to the public and, and make them more aware. But that is the perception that's out there and it's still there and very evident when you talk to people applying. There's other factors. Economics of ag do not always allow employers to pay the highest of wages and compete with some more lucrative industries. So When you're in Alberta, for example, and you're trying to compete with oil and gas, historically, those sectors have paid a lot more money. Employers also are faced with living in rural or very remote areas, and sometimes the labor pool is not as interested in living in those areas or moving their family to those areas. So you end up with a reduced labor pool willing to to be where you need to be to, to offer the work. In some cases, when you look at it, 
you know, ag employers, uh, they're not used to being employers themselves. They don't understand how to manage people necessarily uh, who are not family members. And so that lack of education contributes as well to their ability to, to attract and retain people. And then when you're looking at it from the employee point of view, there's often a perception of limited long-term career opportunities on farms. Some farms are getting better at that. So they're starting to offer profit sharing or even ownership opportunities, but that's not historically been the case. You know, a lot of farmers also have never been employees themselves. Uh, so they struggled to relate with how to attract employees and how to interact with them and, and go, go about the process of, of managing those people on their farms. All very good points. You mentioned about the perception of the industry right now. What do you think are some of the misconceptions people have about working on a farm, whether it's a field crop operation, fruit, vegetable, livestock, poultry barn? What are you seeing in terms of the misconceptions that are out there about ag work? So it's a big one. Um, and as I noted previously, you know, ag still tends to suffer from a, that that old image of being low skilled, old technology, all those things I mentioned previously, right? The key here is that, you know, in today's modern agriculture, that really couldn't be further from the truth in many, many instances. We see many farm workers, you know, running fully computerized machines, especially in the grain sector. When you talk about field sprayers, seed drills, harvesters, these are all highly computerized, highly technical machines that, that are being used on the farms and that the employees have to be able to be trained and, and operate at a high level. And then we also see the employees, you know, managing a, a technologically advanced or high functioning dairy herd or hog barn on some of the livestock side. And, and in that process, they're tracking all sorts of computerized data and doing things that are, are way beyond uh, the, what we consider the basic skill set that would have been required many years ago uh, when working on a farm. So really, you know, the industry has evolved. It is moving forward on a continual basis. In some cases, it's leading in uh, technological advancement, but we haven't done a great job of explaining that to those people seeking careers in agriculture. And I think that needs to get better over time. And you come from a farming background. Have you noticed a shift on your own operations in terms of technology and how it's changed? Yeah, it's a huge uh, game changer when it comes to efficiencies, when it comes to you know our ability to better manage our, our processes on the farm. But again, as much as we, we like to talk about it, providing opportunities for people to do something more exciting, the technology also um, adds complexity. And so for some of the labor force, it's actually uh, a deterrent and uh, it does cause some anxiety with some of the employees. So training is a big part of that. There needs to be training around the technology. And I would think a lot of farms are underutilizing their technological capabilities just because of the workforce struggles to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And I actually spoke to someone working in Canadian agriculture earlier, and they talked about the misconceptions people have about the farm. And it's interesting, they brought up a lot of very similar points about how there are these roles in agriculture today that deal with technology, machinery, you know, these kind of higher skill sets and just the education or the awareness that these roles exist in agriculture just isn't there. So a lot of students are going to school for engineering or business or whatever, and they're not necessarily seeing their careers in agriculture and there's kind of a mismatch because these roles do exist in agriculture and that is something that uh, she had mentioned. 
Hi, Deb Campbell, and I'm an agronomist in central Midwestern Ontario. Some of the misconceptions that you might see about agriculture and farming is, you know, we still seem to be stuck in a, an old school frame of mind uh, around farming, that it's long hours and hard physical labor and dirty and sweaty. And I mean, it still has its moments in that regard, but there's a lot more technology. It's more sophisticated, very specialized. You know, there's still some long hours around planting and harvest as growers work against environmental conditions, of course, but there's definitely a a need and a diverse amount of skill sets needed at the farm level now, you know, whether it's IT and computer and GPS and accounting services and data entry, it's far more sophisticated than it ever was. And you mentioned all these skill sets. How would you describe working on a farm today to someone who's not very familiar with agriculture? Working on a farm today or, you know, an outsider looking in that's not overly familiar, it's very scheduled, it's very planned, it's very high technology, you know, crop plans, they're not written on a sheet of paper, they're on a on an iPad or built into a database. The, the tractors are running with GPS, so it's, it's really a foundation of technology that has moved in and added to the management of, of farming today, and the use of the resources such as people is guided a lot by technology now. Going forward and, and, you know, looking down the road of farming, you know, certainly from my perspective, you know, there's, there's a vacuum, there's a hole that currently exists. We really need to recruit more people into our industry from a very diverse background, whether it's accounting, whether it's IT, physical, mechanical operations that are highly electronic now today. We're having a tough time recruiting into the industry, and there's lots of thoughts around why that might be. It could be that perception that I mentioned earlier that just has not evolved and kept up with the industry. But to me, there's a a big need, whether you're in the farming, the retail, the agronomy sector, we're all needing that replacement generation to be moving into our industry. And I see that as, as a bit of a hole that needs to be addressed across the industry. There's definitely more jobs than we have students to fill them or people to fill them. It's nice that folks would have a college diploma or a degree behind them coming into the industry, but... To me, a willingness to work and a willingness to learn, there's still lots of room for those people that want to build from experience within the industry. And I think most people within the industry would be open to any aspect of of those skills and those mindsets coming in. So let's actually talk about that. Let's go through the hiring process. What can one person do better when it comes to advertising the open roles they have or even when they write the job posting? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a number of things they need to consider. First off, farmers need to professionalize their approach. It should have some structure around it. You should have put some planning and some thought into uh, into how you're going to do it. So what are some things you would do to professionalize it? Well, they need to assess their needs and consider you know, where the, they might find those skill sets. They need to think about things like, you know, are they offering a full-time position with career opportunities or is it a part-time or seasonal role and, and, and define that. 
some other key things that they need to consider are things like you know creating a job description that formally describes what the person is going to be doing they need to consider what the market rate is and you know is that market rate enough to compete in the environment or the geographic area that they're looking for this worker they need to think about where they'll find these people are they local are they regional are they national or, or international workers that are going to come in they need to consider you know whether or not they can offer any accommodations to these folks maybe access to a vehicle uh, or other perks considering that you know this a lot of these jobs are in remote areas and and who are you looking for and where are they looking and really that takes us to the next point of you know probably in today's age these farmers need to be looking at having a website or a social media account where they can uh, post their job postings on there. Cause a lot of the young folks today will be, that's where they will be looking and, and hanging out and on things like a website or on your social media account, you can also put the other content on there to help the applicant understand what the farm is like and why they should want to work there. And then the last thing I would say is think about referral sources that you can utilize, whether it's, you know, past or present employees, customers, suppliers, and, and word of mouth goes a long ways in the agriculture community. So lean on those people who can help spread the message and also provide you with a reference. And the points that you said, they're echoed in a conversation I had earlier with one poultry producer who described what their experience and I guess challenges have been like trying to hire someone for their operation. Hi, my name is Annika Stickney. My husband and I operate Stickney Poultry Farm, which includes a layer operation and a broiler operation. Our layers are located just outside of Ballora and our broilers are just outside of Arthur, Ontario. My experience with hiring people for our operation is both good and bad. We tend to have some difficulty trying to find uh, full-time employees. I think based on our location and proximity to the city, we have a lot of individuals that aren't exactly 100% sure what is involved in the farming operation and what type of work they would actually be doing. So we tend to get a lot of resumes that aren't necessarily the right candidate for our job. So that would be the bad side. The good side is because we're so close to the city, there are times if I'm looking for a summer hire, I'm so close to the university in a 24-hour period, I can have almost 50 resumes in my inbox. So there's good and bad on both sides from where we are. So what can an employer, after they've posted the job posting and the opening out there, what can they do better when it comes to the interview process? Yeah, I think before you can answer that question, there's just a few things you need to clarify. And, and so when it comes to the interview process, I think the key thing is to understand what are the challenges that the farmer or the producer is, is needing to overcome. First of all, many producers haven't had the opportunity to take any you know, people management training or whatnot. So they're coming at it from you know, whatever they've learned in the past or whatever they've been told as they were uh, coached in their careers. The second one is when it comes to interviews itself, and I guess related to the first point is they probably had no training also on how to conduct an interview. That is a disadvantage to them. It, depending on how big the farm is, they may not have had a lot of opportunities to practice conducting an interview in the past, especially if it's their first time hiring somebody. So they're, they're not going to be seasoned veterans at this process. We find a lot of producers struggle with communication. 
it's not always their strong suit. Some, some are very good at it, but lots of them struggle. You know, communication itself is a challenge. And then the last one is, you know, can they get to the point where they feel comfortable themselves in that, in that interview setting? Because you, know, you want to come off as being confident and, you know, ready for that, that meeting when the time comes. So those are just some of the challenges that those farmers or producers would face when doing that. And once you kind of get your head around that, then it's easier to, to give some advice uh, on the matter. And number one key piece of advice on that is just be prepared. Just take the time to get prepared for that interview before you go into it and put some thought into how you're gonna do it. So some key things in the preparation phase would be determining a location. Sometimes, you know, the, these interviews might be best on the farm. Sometimes it's better to go off the farm. Sometimes telephone is, is sufficient. Second one I would say is be on time. There's nothing worse than applying for a job and showing up and then the person to, that's supposed to interview you is late or obviously not respectful of, of you. So if you're trying to encourage people to come work for you, you might wanna be on time for that interview. Third one is know the questions you need to ask. And those are just simple things like, you know, are you going to ask what kind of education level the person has? What's their skill level? What experience do they have? What's their previous employment history? Um, and I like to also recommend that people throw a few questions in there to try and assess the character of the candidate. So are they trustworthy? Are they reliable? Try to ask non-specific questions just to see what their response might be. The next one is listening carefully and taking notes. Uh, a lot of times people forget to do that and then they get through the meeting and they haven't really listened to what the candidate was saying because they were too busy thinking about what the next question was going to be. So that's important is to slow it down, listen carefully, take notes. One option that we've seen be successful is taking someone else with you to the interview. So maybe it's, you know, your, your manager from the farm or your spouse or somebody like that, that can also be a judge of character and pay attention to some of the things, maybe like body language and other things that are going on that when you're a little more distracted of trying to conduct the interview. I think it's important that when you're doing these interviews, don't feel like you need to make a decision on the spot. So take time to digest, uh, go away and tell the, the candidate that you will get back to them. And I'll likely help you come to a better decision. Check the references if they provide them. Last but not least, make sure you get back to the candidate in a reasonable time afterward, whether or not you're hiring them. I think it's just good business because um, it's going to affect your reputation in the long run when it gets out there as to how you treat prospective employees. When you, when you factor all those things in the preparation phase, really, you know, when you look at the overall conclusion of that, you, know, you really want to go out there and present your best image in order to attract good labor. In a market uh, where labor is scarce, you want to be known as the best employer in the region. It's just so important to make sure you get that correct. And some very good points here. You talked at first about empathizing with farmers and producers who could be out of their element when it comes to interviewing potential candidates. That's something to keep in mind because, as you said, interviews are a two-way street. It's not just uh, people looking for employees. It's also the employee asking themselves, do I want to work here? So when we are looking for employees, we tend to go with both full-time and part-time. When we first started our operation eight years ago, uh, my husband and I were the two that were actually in the barn every single day. Since having four kids and starting another operation, our time is split between children and farming. So we actually went from hiring just summertime employees and weekend employees to full-time employees. 
right now we actually employ two part-time and one full-time. So when we are in the position to hire someone, we tend to try to go by word of mouth. We seem to have the best success with employees that are actually being referred to us. If we don't have that opportunity, we tend to start by sharing on social media. Our uh, local job agency here in town actually has a Facebook page for our community. So we tend to start there and then start to go with uh, newspaper, local newspapers, if we don't have any qualified candidates at that point. Um, we have used an employment agency in the past when we were struggling to try to find full-time employees, and we did not have any success with them. Some of the qualities that we look at when we're hiring is someone that can work independently. They are in the barn majority of the day, and they do work independently, so they need to be kind of a self-starter Um, be able to have a task list and complete it and continue to work without supervision. My husband and I are both in around the farm throughout the day, so we are able to go in and see them, but that's probably one of the key aspects when we're looking at hiring is knowing that the individual is essentially capable of being on their own and being able to do the job on their own as well. So let's move on to some of these intangible aspects. What are some qualities to be on the lookout during the interview process? And what are some ways that you can kind of see or judge whether or not this person can be punctual or if they're like a self-learner? How are some of the, some of the questions or some of the ways an employer can see some of these intangible qualities? First off, people are looking for a new job for a reason. And so... Uh, I like to recommend that you try to find out that reason if you can, because uh, sometimes that can tell you a lot right there about that candidate. If they're on their 25th job in seven years of employment, that might not be the best sign. Whereas if they uh, are applying for a job because their spouse was transferred and they've had to move with them or something like that, that's generally a much better reason for them to be out seeking employment. You know, similar to what we listed above, uh, you obviously want to know education and skill set and, and all of that. Um, but all of that kind of comes together to one question at the end of those things is, is this person a fit for my operation, right? We didn't talk about that one previously. If most of your employees are, are very quiet and this person is very boisterous, is that going to work? Maybe that's a good mix or maybe that's going to be a disaster. So think about how they're going to fit in the operation and what role you're expecting them to be in. Those are things you'd want to look at. Loyalty is something you always want to try to assess. Everybody in business does not like turnover. Turnover costs money. It's disruptive. And so you're looking for people who you're hoping will, will be a long-term fit for the organization. And then this one is really important. And I describe it as, is the candidate focusing on what you can offer them or what they can do to help you? And I see this in interviews in our own business. And I see this with farms all the time where the candidate spends a lot of time asking, what is the employer going to do for them? You know, what are all the benefits? Do I get this? Can I have this? They're not even hired yet. And they're asking for a week off in such and such. If all of the focus is on the candidate, that's probably a sign of what you're going to be facing in the time period you're going to employ this person is it's going to be a lot about them and not as much about you. So you need to figure out whether that's going to work for you because you obviously want people who are balanced and you want people who care about the business and care about you as their employer. 
in doing the best job possible and value the fact that they have that job. That's a really important one. I guess overall, just trust your instincts when you're in these interviews. Follow up where things don't feel right or answers are vague. You know, ask a follow-up question. Ask open-ended questions. You know, tell me more about that. Um, because those types of things will get more of the secrets out of the jar uh, in the process so that you can get a little better understanding of who this person really is that you're interviewing. Some very good points. And if I can add my own interview tip, sometimes silence speaks volumes. If you're asking a question, don't hesitate to let the silence run a bit. But that's also back to your earlier points where Try not to focus so much on what your second question is. Just try to really listen to what your interviewee is saying and so you can ask those follow-up questions. But an interesting thing that you brought up, especially in, in agriculture and in farming, a lot of these businesses are family businesses and it's very tied to emotions, family, legacy, and that's very personal. An employee is just, what if they don't ever get to that same level of commitment? What's that like? Yeah, and I don't know if you'll ever get an employee to put the same level of heart and soul into it as you will as the owner, unless you get into things like profit sharing or offering ownership to the employee themselves. Don't get me wrong, there are employees out there who are very good and will give it, you know, they're all, they'll give it the 110% that, you know, just as if they own the place and those are great and hang on to those people. But, you know, at the same time, you got to remember these people are employees, they're not owners. And so they don't have the same risks or the same uh, things at stake as you do as the owner. And I don't know if it's appropriate for us to expect them to, to act exactly like an owner in all situations. We probably, as employers, fail to remind ourselves of that enough when we're thinking about what an employee should do. Put yourself in their shoes and how would you behave? Yeah, definitely. Empathizing with your employee is a, is a great way to see their point of view and and develop a better relationship. You know, you hear about workplace culture. Some people talk about how it makes a difference. And some people say, you know, fit is so important. When it comes to a farm operation, does the same apply? Does farm culture matter? Yeah, it absolutely matters. We have to have work environments that are pleasant to be a part of. And so nobody wants to go work somewhere where, you know, you're, you're constantly not getting any fulfillment or enjoyment out of that, that work. You know, employees today, they want some level of personal satisfaction. And I don't think that's anything new. I think you could go back many, many years and people would always say they want some job satisfaction uh, out of what they do. So you need to build that atmosphere where it's a fun environment, where it's a good place to go. And, and sure, people work to make money, but you know, this is also generally you're, you're providing time as an employee. And if you're spending a significant amount of your time at your job, most people don't want to be at a job where they're not having any fun. So to the point previously of, of hiring employees that are problematic, those people can take away that fun atmosphere from the rest of your team if you're not careful. And so you need to figure out, you know, is bringing this person in going to upset the apple cart when it comes to the balance or the excitement or the enjoyment that's happening in the workplace? And then once you recognize that you have an employee that's causing those problems, it's really, really important to deal with that employee either uh, trying to correct the behavior or removing them from the team because letting that person stick around and not dealing with it most of the time results in you losing your best employees and and now you're stuck with with that employee and and possibly some some replacements who aren't going to be as good 
a culture of professionalism, uh, I think is something that we don't think about in agriculture because it's generally laid back and, you know, oh, you know, this is what we do. We, we grow grain or we raise cattle or we grow vegetables or whatever it is. It's simple business. And, you know, we, we tend to be more laid back. So creating a, a culture of professionalism, you know, where you look at are people treated fairly? Do they understand their roles and responsibilities? Do we have governance in indicating, you know, who do they report to? What are their opportunities look like for advancement in the organization? And what will they be paid uh, now and in the future uh, as they move up in the organization? Those are all things that we need to look at, maybe putting a little bit more formality around on farms nowadays to not so much take away that happy-go-lucky, but find the balance of having a more laid-back culture with structure in there so it's, it's not so laid-back that there's confusion. Definitely. And you mentioned that point about how an employee that isn't a fit can really impact your business culture and your operations culture. I was talking to someone and they were talking about uh, their farmer's market stand and how it started to grow. And so they were looking for new employees. But what they realized was that there was a, a almost a cliquey culture with some of the original employees. And that really made an impact on their ability to attract new employees and retain new employees because there was kind of this tension between old and new. So it's interesting that you bring that up about how you know, culture is important and having one person can really make the difference. So I do want to talk a little bit more about that point. What can an employer do when it comes to retaining an employee? Obviously, there are a lot of seasonal roles. What is something that, that we can do or employers can do to kind of keep someone coming back the next summer or staying on for longer than just a season? Yeah, so I've got some key tips for employee retention that are a combination of things we've learned uh, on our farming operation and things we've learned in the uh, accounting world. So the first one is a concept that not everybody will agree with, but everybody needs to get their head around. Respect is a two-way street. You have to earn it. You cannot demand it. Um, we've learned that over and over again as, as we've hired and brought people into our organizations. You have to respect your employees. And if you do that and you treat them well, they will respect you as well. Relationships where it's very authoritarian or very, you know, dictator-like generally are not great and don't turn out well in the end. Uh, so you'll get a much better employee if you, and a much longer term employee if you earn their respect. Second one is uh, create a positive atmosphere in the workplace. So make it fun to be there. Uh, I talked about that under the culture side. That's part of creating the culture. If it's no fun, no one's going to want to be there. And believe me, that will spread and you'll have a harder and harder time finding your next employee because they'll hear it uh, on the street that it's no fun to work at that farm. Third one is provide proper training opportunities for your employees, both on and off the farm. So everybody is pretty good at providing training on the farm because generally you need to train the people to do what they need to do. But look at what off-farm training is available as well. And when we talked earlier about the technology, you know, a lot of that stuff is, uh, is out there, but we need to be willing to send our employees off the farm to get that training. And so they can bring that skill set back and put it to work on our operations. Fourth one is encourage and empower your employees to do things better and then celebrate the successes when they have them. This is a big one to get people engaged and get them 
uh, almost acting more like owners, get them that level of satisfaction they're looking for. People wanna wanna feel like they're they have the ability to do things a better way and have the confidence of you as their employer that you trust them to do that. The attitude of it's my way or the highway that is necessary in some cases because you as the employer know better, but that doesn't always need to be the case. And uh, the more that we are rigid around that, um, sometimes it, it just creates more negativity and, and a weaker environment on the farm. We actually have a really good success story. When we first started farming over eight years ago, we hired an individual that just graduated from high school, never really had a job, she actually biked almost 20 minutes to work and home every single day for about the first three, four months before she could afford to buy her vehicle. We were fortunate enough. She actually worked for us full time for one year. She went back to school. And while she was in school, she worked for us on the weekends. When she wasn't in school in the summer, she worked for us in the summer. She ended up staying with us for over five years before she ended up getting full-time employment as a nurse. Even though she is still working as a nurse, she still comes back and helps us on the farm when we need it or if uh, we're stuck with no one helping us or all of our employees are gone, then she's always there to help us out even though she's still working full-time somewhere else. The best part is uh, she referred us her sister and now her sister's been working for us for over three years as well. So we've been lucky that uh, we were able to find such a unique family that uh, are such great workers that have been with us pretty much since the start. I guess some of the challenges that we have as poultry producers is we have birds in our barn 365 days a year. There's no break for us. So I think for us is having a reliable network of employees that have stepped away from our operation to pursue their dreams of nursing or going back to school, but having such a great relationship with them that if we are struggling or we need some help, that we know that if they're available, they're going to be the first ones at our door coming out to help us. I think the key is to take time and evaluate your business, understand your staffing needs, understand your staff and where their dreams or goals lie and just being kind of one step ahead and always knowing that there could be the opportunity that they might leave. And if that's the case, then, you know, we want to be proactive in trying to find someone. I think that's our toughest challenge is, is if we're not proactive that we have a gap and essentially the only way we can fill that gap is our family and it's my husband and I and we have four kids at home so we know if we're not ahead of that ball that we're going to struggle for a while until we actually have that and I always say you know reach out to your contacts get in touch with people that you know in the industry most of the time they know someone that is capable and that is looking for a job and then follow your gut ask those questions, do your research, call the references, and just follow your gut. I'm a firm believer that the biggest trait that we have as employers is being there for our staff and being understanding of who they are. I know we have a such great relationship with everyone that comes through our door that even if they've left, left us, 
three years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, we actually still speak to them. We still see them probably on a monthly base. So I think that's key is just having a good foundation and a good relationship will build that employee and employer relationship that makes people stay. Maybe just a couple of other things on employee retention. I can just list a couple off and I think they're important. First one is take time to get to know your employees. When you do take coffee breaks, you know, sit in on them. Don't just go to your office and, and work on paperwork while the farm workers are having a coffee break. Engage in those conversations. Um, maybe have a beer with them at the end of a long week or whatever it is, but get to know them. The more you can build a bit of a relationship with these folks, the better uh, you're going to be at connecting with them and earning their respect. And the more they will do for you, you'll find they'll be more loyal and more willing to put in that extra hour, or that extra couple hours in the times when you really need it. The other one is just a simple one that people just sometimes can't get their heads around, and that's just say thank you. You know, the word thank you goes so far that you can't imagine. You, sometimes you cannot pay enough money to make up for the fact that you're not saying thank you. So thanking your employees for what they do for you, acknowledging when they've put in extra effort, acknowledging when they did something really well, that is such a simple thing. It costs you nothing, but it goes so far with building that trust and building that respect with your employees. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. The shortage of labor in agriculture is kind of becoming a little bit more apparent in light of COVID-19. We're seeing many provinces start to invest in agriculture-specific job portals, projects, projects that help recruit and train workers within the agri-food supply chain. What can the agriculture industry be doing better on a, on a bigger scale to address the issues with labor in agriculture during COVID and also beyond? I, I think it's important uh, to understand first and foremost that you know not all farm employment opportunities are just plug and play. You know, there's been a lot of discussion around you know, well, we've got a, a lot of people, a lot of people being laid off in Canada right now from their jobs, and can we put those people into the workforce to cover for other shortages that are that are in place? And you know, I, I think it's just important to understand that many of these positions require training and expertise. And so, you know, while the industry appreciates the government's efforts to match jobs up, you know, there will still be challenges along the way that will, will result in less uptake than, than maybe expected or hoped for in this case. It's also, you know, and this is a tough one, but many farm jobs are not high paying positions. And so when we look at programs that have been introduced through COVID, like the CERB program, the CERB, you know, or even the EI program itself, it's not necessarily financially beneficial for someone to go off of VI or not take the CERB program and go work on a farm. Now, the government did announce a new program a couple of weeks ago that's going to top up some lower wage workers to acknowledge that, that there, there is that issue. Um, I don't know if we have all the details on that program yet, so that is good to see. But, you know, that that is one of the issues is... The CERB program pays $2,000 a month, I believe, right now to people who are unable to work. Those people might be employable in the ag industry, but that might only pay them you know, $2,500 a month or, or something like that. And so that it leaves the, the gap there is pretty small. And that's problematic for the ag sector in trying to get people interested in working. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, but that is the reality of the situation. 
you know, one thing that I always find very, very disappointing is that the financial rewards for both employers and employees in the agriculture sector have really been far less than they should be in the past, um, given the importance of this industry. I mean, we're, these, these, this industry produces food, which is the single most important commodity in the world. And it should really be the most profitable industry in the world, in my opinion. And it should be able to properly reward the employees with good paying jobs. And the reality is, is that's just not the case. You know, there's constant pressure on producers to find low cost labor because they are under a thin margin in what they're trying to do. And, and uh, that's really unfortunate, in my opinion. And that's really coming to light now with the COVID situation and the temporary foreign workers. And a lot of people asking questions, well, why are these temporary foreign workers here? And that, that's part of the issue. Definitely. And temporary foreign workers actually make up 17% of the agricultural sector in Canada. So a lot less than what the domestic uh, labor supply actually is, but they still are a very integral part of the agricultural workforce and even more for fruit and vegetable operations, which are very labor intensive. In that sector, they make up almost 50% of its labor force. And many seasonal employees have been returning to the same farm for years and are very familiar with the work and highly skilled. This is something that is not really part of larger discussions. But I do feel that a discussion about labor would not be complete without acknowledging the impact of temporary foreign workers. And, and I'll play a clip uh, after, uh, but I spoke with Glenn Lucas with the BC Fruit Growers Association about how important this program is for Canada and its participating countries. Do you have something to add for this or, or anything uh, in general before we wrap this up? From my perspective, there's two key answers to the temporary foreign worker question. And, and when we looked at what we went through here earlier today, that these were discussed. First one is the seasonality of the work is, key, is one of the key drivers to using temporary foreign workers. Um, it allows Canadian producers access to um, a necessary labor force for a specified period of time when demand is high. And just given the business environment in Canada, uh, it's unlikely that our country would ever be able to supply that labor pool uh, the way that it's utilized right now. The second one is money. You know, it's really the same discussion. Financial rewards offered to employees are, are not great when you compare that with what the average Canadian has for an income expectation. And so temporary foreign workers tend to have a much lower income expectation than Canadians. But from their perspective, they consider those wages uh, to be appropriate or, or sufficient to meet their needs. Uh, and they're happy to fill those roles for that specific wage. So overall, I guess, just given the economics being what they are, the reality is that temporary foreign workers are extremely important to the success of the ag sector in Canada uh, and really to the overall worldwide food supply. And one uh, would assume that these opportunities are also providing temporary foreign workers income for their families back home, right? So when you look at that, uh, it's, it's extremely important for those people and for their countries uh, that they come from that this program is successful. Definitely. And, and I'll let Glenn get into more detail about what it means for horticulture in Canada. Glenn Lucas, based in Kelowna, BC, and I'm the general manager of the BC Fruit Growers Association. The interest in temporary foreign workers really began well, in Ontario over 50 years ago. Here in BC, we've been interested for a long time. However, the provincial government had the view, uh, and under various political stripes, 
uh, provincial governments, had the view that we should employ every able-bodied BC citizen before we allowed any temporary foreign worker into the country, into the province. However, although we still had a base level of unemployment in the province, we were running far short of workers in the agriculture sector. And we kept track of that for several years. And around about 2004, we were uh, allowed access to the temporary foreign worker program within BC. And that really opened up opportunities for growers. Up to that point, uh, I had several growers who approached me and, and said, that because of the worker shortage and the difficulty in, in getting reliable workers that showed up day after day and were willing to do the hard physical labor on the orchards, they were looking at scaling down their operations. Since we've had the temporary foreign worker program, we've seen growers who have been able to maintain and expand their operations. So it's been a real boost to food production in BC. The knowledge base that any worker builds up at any work site is valuable. And the, the real issue this year, especially when we have the travel ban on, uh, was that if you think about 100% labor turnover in your operation, that starts getting very challenging to even continue anything resembling a normal operation. And, and even in the temporary foreign worker program, there's a little bit of turnover every year. It's probably somewhere in the range of 5 to 10%. So we get about 90% returning every year. That gives us a very strong base for pruning, which is something where you build up knowledge over the years. And different growers have different approaches to pruning. So, you, you know, the, grower, the workers that are returning to that farm year after year learn the grower's approach to pruning the trees. And when you have 90% return rate, that's a very effective pruning crew. And even the 10% that are new learn from the other pruners, not just from the owner. So that's the type of knowledge base that, that we build up. Uh, having someone return year after year and, and build up that knowledge base of, of those types of uh, equipment operations and just uh, the farm facilities is uh, very valuable to any business. And it's, it, farming is no different. Uh, at harvest time, it's just an absolute impact. If we're 20% short, we'll harvest 20% less apples. You know, growers uh, describe it as being very much a team, and farming's different because as a farmer, you're, you're living on the farm, so your, your work is the place where you live, and it's also the place where the workers live, so it's, it's a little different than a regular workplace. I mean, you're living together, in a sense, so it's a very tight team. One of our growers uh, said, and I'll quote, about our workers, our pickers. He said they're a vital part of the food chain. And to quote him, he said, they do difficult work that no one else is willing to do. They feed the world, end of quote. So I, I think that shows just how much the growers rely on the workers, but also extending into that food security portion of, you know, we need to make sure that we're making our farms successful and able to have these workers uh, is a big part of that success. The workers are, are a critical and integral part of, uh, of the farm. So when we look at our local workers earning $40 an hour and we're offering them 15 or they can earn more than that, but it's extremely hard work, physical work to do, 
we were finding that workers, often local workers, would show up for a day and not come back the next day. So our retention was very low. And sometimes we find fantastic local workers that become a key part of our team. And often they rise to be foremen and work into other positions. And in that case, when we're employing those local workers in supervisory positions or administrative positions, then in a sense, those foreign workers that come are supporting Canadian jobs. So that's that's an important factor to remember. But local workers typically for that core work that we need to be doing on the farm, the harvest work, we have very low retention and it's hard to attract people to the work. And that's historically, it's 50 years in Ontario, it's, it's since 2004 here in BC, and that's just the nature of, of farm work. The impact on the foreign countries is enormous, because the worker, he's the one that earns the money here in Canada, and it goes directly to his family at home. There's no administration cost. It's zero. So I would call it the most effective uh, foreign aid program, and it's getting to the ground level. These workers in Mexico are recruited from rural areas. They tend to be the poorer, more high unemployment areas. You know, all of Jamaica is, uh, and the Caribbean struggles with very few economic opportunities for their citizens. This gets them up and running. It's just amazing when you hear the stories about how it helps families, how it helps people set up businesses in their home countries. The stories are just truly amazing. And I think that alone should convince people that uh, this is a phenomenal program. We're making our food security better here at home, and we're helping out the grassroots people that need the help in the foreign countries. So to wrap this up, I just want to say thank you, Stuart, for your time and for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor, MNP, a leading national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm for Canada's agriculture industry. MMP has invested more time and resources into understanding agriculture than any other firm. With more than 18,000 agriculture clients and a team of over 600 agriculture specialists, MMP's team brings a range of expertise to all aspects of agricultural business, from primary producers through to food and beverage processors. To help you navigate through these times of uncertainty, MMP has created a COVID-19 Business Advice Centre. To learn more, visit mnp.ca slash en slash covid-19. Thanks for tuning in to Ag Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Ag Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit agannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.